episode, I want to explore Opus Anglicanum and its effect on fashion and embroidery in the 20th and 21st centuries. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. The word fashion means popular or of the latest style of clothing, hair, decoration or behaviour. Words like vogue, trend, craze, rage, mania, mode, fad and fancy are synonyms of the word fashion and as as unlikely as it may seem, they aptly describe the fashion of Opus Anglicanum during the High Middle Ages. Kings, popes, bishops and the nobility were addicted to the luxurious, ostentatious, technically proficient work of the English embroiderers who produced these magnificent artworks, providing a lively international trading market for such work. And Opus Anglicanum should be viewed as art, not only the art of the needle, but also the art of medieval design fed by the inspiration from travel and trade, religion and architecture. In other words, the world around them. The designs for this style of embroidery strongly paralleled manuscript illumination and architecture, including scroll work and spirals, foliage and animals, figures and saints, as well as geometric patterns and frameworks. And England was at the forefront of this artistry. There was, however, an eventual decline in the love and passion for embroidery. In some societies, it was belittled and diminished as women's, women's work or as a way of containing and educating women to become obedient and submissive. Yet in other cultures, embroidery continued as the language of tradition, passed down from generation to generation, sustaining strong family networks and fostering new and old customs. This body of embroidery called Opus Anglicanum, coveted by the rich and powerful, rewarded their artisans, the creators of this magnificent needlework, with top-level remuneration and a number of these artisans were women. Remember, these were extremely costly pieces of art for that time, on a par with the one-of-a-kind haute couture of today. So thank goodness for revivals, especially the religious Gothic revival, reacquainting us with the magic of medieval design. The simple fact is that in the 20th and 21st centuries, there has been an upturn in the creative arts, especially embroidery and textiles. We've again fallen in love with the accomplishments from our past.
I continually say to myself, the only way to really move forward is to look back and taking the opportunity to study the history of embroidery, the techniques, as well as the designs from Opus Anglicanum is a surefire way to form a solid basis for not only in-depth research, but also in-depth inspiration. It opens a Pandora's box of opportunity in a good way, absolutely brimming with creativity. And while the majority of surviving pieces are religious, there are rare pieces indicating Opus Anglicanum was put to many worldly and material uses. So I want to ask the question, has Opus Anglicanum influenced art, embroidery and fashion in the 20th and 21st century? And the answer is, I believe, yes. In the first instance, the V&A exhibition from 2017, English Medieval Embroidery Opus Anglicanum, was the first comprehensive collection of work devoted to this period in over 50 years, bringing together works from across Europe and North America. A lasting record of this exhibition is a unique monograph acknowledging the significance of English Medieval Embroidery as art. Martin Roth, director of the v Museum, writes this in his foreword. This book, written by some of the leading experts in both historical textiles and English medieval art, who have come together for the project, will become the standard work of reference. The many detailed illustrations, both of the works exhibited and comparable pieces that illuminate the discussion, make clear the often astonishing beauty of the objects and the consummate skill of those who created them. So this period of English embroidery can not only be looked upon as an art form, but as a golden, heaven-sent opportunity to inspire and educate a number of people who may not have even heard of this body of work, offering an introduction to the design, production and use, as well as the artistic and social contexts of these handmade artworks. This is like manna from heaven for any researcher, student, textile enthusiast, designer, embroiderer or lover of history, presented in one of the most recognisable forms known to man, that of fibre and stitch. I keep talking about inspiration, and one such person to be inspired by the V&A's exhibition was Sarah Burton, English fashion designer and creative director of the fashion brand Alexander McQueen. Sarah designed Catherine Middleton's wedding dress for her wedding to Prince William, Duke of Cambridge, in 2011. And in 2012, Sarah was named in Time 100, an annual list of the 100 most influential people in the world. Sarah's autumn-winter collection of 2017 for Alexander McQueen, one of my favourite designers, paid tribute to her late mentor using embroidery, even stitching McQueen's name into one of the dresses, emulating a centuries-old custom.
A medieval tradition of hung banners lined the runway, evoking the richness and pageantry of a medieval tournament or dining hall. Many of the dresses used lacing as a form of seam closure, a feature used frequently at this time. Just look at Edward of Woodstock, the Black Prince's Jupon, which uses the same method of garment closure. Embroidery is the feature of this entire collection, inspired by not only the Opus Anglicanum exhibition, but also embroidery designs and techniques from Elizabethan times. Often threads from the embroidery are left to hang and swing gently, creating intricate overlapping networks of lines, while patchwork is used to join fields of embroidered motifs, some bearing a definite medieval flavour. Blackwork from the later Elizabethan period is clearly evident in many of the dresses and juxtaposes easily with the foliage and animal designs possibly drawn from the earlier medieval period. Keys, rabbits, stars and scissors populate the embroidered surfaces. Is this a nod to the cheeky depictions of rabbits often found in the margins of medieval art and literature, I wonder? This harmless puffy cloud of cuteness is an image of purity and innocence, but also associates with fertility for obvious reasons. Some of the, uh, their interpretations, however, are anything but cute and pure, but that's a question for another day. A number of the beautifully embroidered dresses uh, that Sarah put into this collection are worked on a soft, almost sheer fabric with raw edges for neck, arms and hem. The embroidery from different eras of needlework history happily cohabiting on the surface of the fabric. Burton uses asymmetry in many of the garments and like the work of Opus Anglicanum incorporated foliage and animals in her designs as well as geometric patterning. Two standout gowns, gowns from the collection embrace the magnificence of embroidery from both the medieval and Elizabethan periods. Exquisitely stitched, harking back to the opulence and splendour that only embroidery using silk and metallic threads can produce. Another fashion designer whose work reflects her Chinese heritage and culture is Guo Pei. And while there's absolutely no mention of her referencing this medieval era of embroidery, it's clearly evident to me in much of her work, incorporating the use of metal thread embroidery, gems, richly coloured exotic and patterned designs, sumptuous silk thread work and applique on luxurious ground fabrics to create lavishly embellished and spellbindingly beautiful garments. Her monograph, Guao Pei, Couture and Beyond, shows that the Chinese have again fallen in love with their embroidered past. Yet Guao Pei had to train many of her embroiderers as the art of the needle had fallen so out of favour. In a modern context, her work reimagines the luxuriousness and artistry of craftsmanship from the time of Opus Anglicanum, offering a glimpse into the stunning tableau embroidery can and did produce. 
Someone who also deserves mention here is British embroiderer Beryl Dean, 1911-2001. Best known for rejecting Victorian traditional designs in favour of her own contemporary design work. Beryl wrote this. Realising suddenly in about 1952 that ecclesiastical embroidery was totally influenced by the tremendous change in secular embroidery, which had been brought through the approach of Rebecca Crompton, I decided to concentrate entirely upon trying to bring church needlework up to date. And so she did. Beryl's interest in new designs, colour combinations and experimentation with new fabrics saw a complete change in ecclesiastic embroidery. Ten years in the making, the Hammersmith Cope, designed by Susan Riley, was a class project managed by Beryl Dean and gifted to St Paul's Cathedral in 1968. Worked on silk with appliqued medallions of martyred saints and angels, this work has been designated of national and international importance on account of the excellence of design and craftsmanship as well as the financial value of the gold and silver threads used. There are clear similarities to the medieval past of Opus Anglicanum in this design work alone, in the layout and orientation of the saints and angels, but given a fresh, up-to-date look of the 20th century. The same can be said of Beryl Dean's five Windsor panels, whose figures embrace early Byzantine design. The grounds are of woven linen and lurex, hand-embroidered in goldwork and drawn and fillwork, as well as appliqued in fabric and leather. Each tapestry is thought to have taken approximately 1,490 hours' work to complete. The magnificent Jubilee Cope, designed by Beryl Dean and executed under her direction by needlework students from the Stanhope Institute, was made to mark the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977 and depicts the spires of 73 London churches, St Paul's Cathedral and three royal peculiars. A peculiar is a parish or church exempt from the jurisdiction of the diocese in which it lies and subject to the direct jurisdiction of the monarch or an archbishop. This beautiful work references Opus Anglicanum's use of architecture in design, clearly seen here in the magnificent radiating buildings used to such great effect. Each building widens at the bottom and narrows towards the top to fit the shape of the cope, giving a sense of perspective as well as interest. Exactly what the medieval designers had to do. How they would have embraced this work. And one last embroiderer, another English embroiderer, Margaret Nicholson, 1913-2004, to was brought up playing with gold leaf as a child. Her unique and artistic handling of both real and synthetic gold thread led to a retrospective exhibition of Margaret's work at the London College of Fashion in 2003. 
her technique of ornoue secured her place in the realms of both artist and master craftsman. To achieve her City and Guilds London Institute status, Margaret attended an additional course in embroidery for which she was awarded the gold medal in 1933. Margaret's work often featured highly stylized heads and faces with shapes richly filled with laid gold thread and further embellished with other embroidery and beads, adding to a heightened sense of reflection and richness, emulating those embroideries of Opus Anglicanum. Ornoue was a technique which travelled from France to England during the time of Opus Anglicanum and Margaret Nicholson has laid her stamp on the diversity and technical accomplishment of this technique with a 21st century twist. Opus Anglicanum has shown to me its association with an art exhibition of the highest level with fashion designers who use the traditions and inspirations from the past to recreate inspired sparkling creations and with embroiderers who have used the traditional techniques from the time of Opus Anglicanum to contemporise both design and technique in their own work. If you go back through the episodes I did on the Bayeux Tapestry and its influence on society and culture, you can see certain similarities. This era, this flowering of embroidery in England gives us much to be thankful for. But even better, much to look into and reinterpret in our own work. I just want to grab a pencil and paper and draw the shapes and lines I see from this era and make it into something extremely special. So with this, I'll draw Opus Anglicanum to a gentle close. We may revisit some time down the track, but I think it's time to move on. Thank you so much for being with me. I hope you're enjoying this journey. I know I'm having a ball. Don't forget Stitch Safari is on Facebook and Instagram where I post interesting tidbits every now and again. Until my next episode, bye for now. Mm-hmm.